He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20 The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Like he said, the first clap was for ourselves. But the second clap is to acknowledge Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father in our midst. <laughs> Hallelujah. I believe that this is a holy evening and that we need the presence of God to be with us and to lead us. So I would like us to share a word of prayer. Every eye closed and every head bowed. Father, thank you for this time. It is always an honor to share your word and to be a vessel that you choose to use. Let this be a hallowed time in your presence. Let this be a time when we will hear from you and hear from your heart. Let this be a time when the word of God will go forth as good seed on good soil and that will yield much fruit. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. Let every reasoning and wisdom of men be abased and let the wisdom that comes from above be our portion. Thank you, great teacher. In fact, the greatest. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I receive your unction in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may take your seats, please. Oh, hallelujah. Well, I want to thank God for this privilege to be here this evening and also to thank Reverend Kujo for honoring me and asking me to speak at your youth conference, isn't it? 25 to 34. And... Um, I also want to salute Yosef Umami and all your pastors and your leaders. God bless you. I also came with some loved ones. So lady pastors, I would like you to stand up and give them a wave for me. For them to see that I have a company. <laughs> God bless you. Well, I'm told that your theme is go to the ant. Thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. And there are so many things. The book of Proverbs says about the ant that the ant does not have any overseer, but they organize themselves. They are able to build ant hills. They are able to have 
father aunt and mother aunt and everybody plays their part and generally it works. Amen. But one thing that I want us to know about the aunt is that the aunt prepares. And uh, in our lives, many people don't prepare before they say I do. Or many people don't think they should be prepared before they say I do. So I want us to look, I think that we have to know that marriage is not the idea of the internet. Amen? It's not the creation of the UN, people's opinions, what people think. God is the initiator, the creator, and the architect of marriage. And therefore, if somebody makes something, you need the manufacturer's manual to go by to know how to operate whatever it is, even if it's a device. In the same way, marriage is not girl marriage, it's not fancy marriage, it's not Ashanti marriage, it's God's way of doing things, and it's God's creation. It's God who brought about marriage. Amen. And then we have done various things to vary what God thinks. So like they used to say, if you were a marriage, the woman lives here and the man lives here. In the evening, you put powder on your neck and you cross over <laughs> to Gwen. So that may be tribal, but the basis of it all is God. And I believe that that is why the Bible says, in the beginning, God. So in the beginning is not your emotions. In the beginning is not your opinions. In your beginning is not what you think or the consensus or the majority. In the beginning is God. So I believe the marriage starts with God. But unfortunately, many things that God creates, Satan also perverts. Amen? So when God says, okay, I'm making Adam and Eve because I have seen that it is not good for man to be alone. Even that shows us that man did not know his problem, but God knew man's problem. And in solving it, God did not need man's involvement. He just put the man to sleep. And he brought what he, God, knew was good for the man. But if you've lived on this planet and you've driven behind a few trotters, you see fear woman, and all sorts of things. It may be based on people's experiences, but the word of God is greater than our experiences. Amen, somebody. And it is God who put Adam and Eve in the garden, not Adam and Steve. Amen. And now we are beginning to put Adam and Steve in the garden. And we are putting Eve and Evelyn in the garden. We are saying, if Eve feels like having Evelyn, let her have it. But as a child of God, it's not about feelings. It's not about what is popular. And it's not even about what is man's logic. It is about what is God saying. And 
What is the light? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who walks with me shall never walk in darkness. So when you don't walk in his word and in him, you walk in darkness. And that's why the more we develop, the more retrogressive we are becoming in this life. Amen. Because I think God wants to show us that even our wisdom, which we call wisdom, is God's foolishness. That's what the Bible says. So we need to be well oriented this evening that it is more about that saith the Lord, not about you. That saith your academia. That saith what you learned in sociology. That saith what you feel. It's not like that. It's that saith the Lord. The Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, not as many as are led by their emotions, because sometimes your emotions can be contrary to God's word. It's not as many as are led by their logic, because sometimes your logic can be contrary to God's word. It's not as many as are led by their academic laurels. It's as many as are led by the Spirit of God. So I would like to establish the marriage is God's idea, and it has to be lived and practiced in that context. Amen, somebody. Amen. Now, you said, before I say, I do. Many of us prepare, we do prepare for marriage, but we prepare for the wedding cake, we prepare for nice invitation cards that as soon as people have read, they just squash and put in the dustbin. We prepare for color scheme. We prepare for engagement. And we have marching funds to, to, to match it up. And uh, we prepare for how we will come in, the music we will come with, and all that. But that's just ceremony. But real marriage begins after you have said, I do. Amen. It, it begins after the wedding. Even sometimes not after the wedding, after the honeymoon. That's when marriage begins. But even God, who is a bridegroom, says in Revelation 21 verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Amen. Amen. John saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, who the Bible describes as our bridegroom. And when Jerusalem was coming down, it was a prepared bride. Amen prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And when you look at Revelation 19, verse 7, it says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. Amen. So it is important that you be ready to marry. Amen? Even in the secular world, they have an age by which legally you are allowed to marry. So you may fall in love before that age, 
but the Lord does not recognize it until you are that age. When I was in the Attorney General's Department, it was 21 years, but I remember they were arguing whether I should be 18. But whatever it is, the law prescribes an age by which you can marry. Why do they say 21 or 18? Because they presuppose that by that time, you have become more sensible, you have become less foolish, and you are able to take some decisions. That is why even driving, they don't just unleash you to the road. They expect you to be of a certain age because your judgment, the way you see things, the, the judgment you execute before you negotiate a curve, when a car is coming, how you behave, all that is often attuned to your age. It is a supposition that when you are this age, you will be more mature than when you are younger. Amen. In the same way, in the things of God and even in marriage, before you marry, you should be ready. Lady Reverend, what do you mean by ready? You should be ready spiritually. You should be ready emotionally. You should be ready financially. You should be ready psychologically. You should even be ready physically. So if the marriage of the lamb who is perfect and then the lambs here who are the men, we are not perfect, then we all need to be prepared. Amen. Because all of us are the bride of Christ. And the Bible is saying, the marriage of the lamb has come. And the bride does not get ready when the groom comes. The bride has already made herself ready. And also, one thing that struck me was, I didn't say the angels have made her ready. Her parents have made her ready. The situation has made her ready. The bride has made herself it's a DIY. Do it yourself. Amen. It is a self-help project. So you are the one who should prepare yourself. Many of us as pastors and leaders and even your parents will help prepare you. But whether you will lend yourself to be prepared is up to you. Because you have to make yourself ready. Amen. So, uh, uh, Lady Reverend, how do we get ready? If you are going to be spiritually ready, I believe that you should have a personal God. Amen, somebody. Amen. Psalm 5 verse 2. Psalm 5 verse 2. What does it say? Hmm. Hearken unto the voice of my cry. Give ear to my words, O Lord, is the beginning, but the two. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. Many of us in this generation, we are like the people who say, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but we ourselves, we don't have a God. But David is saying here, 
my God, my king and my God. So you should have a God of your own, not the God of your beloved. I am not saying you both should not be Christians, but I'm saying that your love for God, your commitment to God, your desire to walk in his word, even being born again, should not be because he is somebody's God. Somebody may introduce you to his God, but in the end, you should have a personal God of your own. Amen? And that God is the Father of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Now, when you marry and you don't have a God of your own and your God is your husband's God or your wife's God, at a point, you will not have a God. Amen? So like the psalmist, we should be able to say, my God, just like you say, my, my computer, my laptop, my job, my car, my house, my apartment, my shoes. You must be able in your possession to have God and to say, my God and my King. Amen. I'm not talking about merely coming to church. I'm sure many of you are saying, but why is she saying God coming to church? Because for me, without that foundation, you are not going to last. Amen? Some people say, ah, but if we are not going to last, then why is it that even people who are Christians, maybe even they are ministers, and they, their marriages don't work? Because I believe that life is in compartments. The Bible says, I believe in, is it 1 Samuel 25 or 2 Samuel 25, when it talks about Abigail? It says that Nabal, the fool that Abigail had married, I didn't say the Bible said, was a very great man. That's how the Bible describes him. And that he was great in cattle, he was great in sheep, he was great financially. But in another area, he was a fool. Amen? So, when you look at how he works, how prosperous his business is, you say, oh, Nepal is so great. Look, even his company, he has so many, those days, cars or uh, uh, companies or trucks or whatever. He had so many. The Bible says he was a great man. And I love the Bible for that because it speaks the truth. He was great. And he had need of nothing. He was rich. That's why David came to ask him something. But although he was rich financially, spiritually and relationally, he was a fool. And it can be the same in your life. You may be up here, even in ministry, but when it comes to marriage, you may be a fool. And you may be bankrupt. And I was asking God, is this scripture? And the Holy Spirit said to me, oh, there were so many kings in the Bible, in even Chronicles and all that, the Bible will say they did this, they did this, they did this, but they did not bring down the high places. So you may do this, you may do that, but there may be an area where Jesus is not Lord. And there may be an area where you don't allow God to deal with your brokenness. We are all broken vessels, but the difference is whether we will bring the brokenness to him. That is the problem. Amen. 
So you must have a God of your own. Because it is not every time when you share something with your spouse that he or she will understand. But Jesus Christ is our high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So when you go to him, sometimes you don't even have to put words, just your cry. God will say, your cry has come unto me. Amen. So we need a God of our own. I always say that if I didn't know God for myself, or if I didn't have a relationship with God, this week, my husband is in the Sishi areas doing crusade, preaching from place to place, from place to place. And you, you don't have a God, you don't have any spiritual aim, you don't have a life. Your whole aim is to meet Miss Charming or Prince Charming, and then your life will turn around. You have married Prince Charming, but he has to go to work. He has gone. He's been away for more than a week. You don't have a God. You don't have a relationship with God. You don't have a life. What is going to happen to you? What is going to happen to you? The Bible says, the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in our God. Colossians 2, 9 or so. And we are complete in him. So completion comes in Christ. You are not complete because you have married. And you are not half because you are single. I remember a pastor from Winners Chapel. I met him. He was my friend. And I met him at our bookshop. And I said, oh, pastor, it's a long time. And then I said, oh, every time you come with your better half, but today you came alone. And then he laughed and said, lady reverend, it's not my better half, it's my better whole. And God put two holes together, not two halves. And I received instruction from that. Amen. So you should be whole in yourself as a single person. You should have a God of your own. You should have a life of your own. Lady Reverend, why are you saying that? Yes, the two shall be one. But you must also have a life of your own. Otherwise, when the person is not there, the person has become your God. You see, when we say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you, your own, you have substituted it with a man or a woman's name. So if the person does not behave like you want, you will be found in mental hospital just now. Because your, your, your foundation and your everything is a human being. And you have no life. And every human being, the Bible says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, including yourself, that the excellency of his power shall be of God and not of us. So if we have this treasure in earthen vessels, you may marry a good woman, a good man, but she can never satisfy you 100%. Otherwise, he or she will take the place of God, and God will never allow that to happen. God will share his glory with no one, and God wants to be God in your life. So you must be prepared spiritually by knowing God, having a relationship with God. For me, that has been my anchor. That has been what has helped me even to know how to pray. 
to know how to pray. I'd been a Christian for a long time, but when I came to Lagos, I didn't know how to know, use the name of Jesus. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I hardly used it. I didn't know how to stand on scripture to pray, but my husband was the president of our fellowship, and he taught me all that. And so I came to a place where when I went on holiday, I could call on God by myself. And I could say, you have said this in your word. You and your word are one. Lord, make good what you have said. But you, you are not prepared. Even quiet time, you don't do. Message, you don't listen. You are so carnal. There's no spiritual preparation in you. Therefore, when the storms of life come, which will come, and the storms of marriage come, how will you stand? You will be calling pastor, pastor is asleep. You will be calling pastor, his battery is low. You will be calling lady pastor, uh, it's out of coverage area, where she is, the reception is not good. What are you going to do? Or you will be calling them, they are busy. Or you will be calling them, they are out of coverage area. I hear in some places, they say out of recovery area. What are you going to do? So as a single person, this is the time to invest in yourself spiritually. Invest in God's word. Invest in prayer. Invest in knowing God. Invest in fellowship. Invest in being close to him. Because sometimes, even your wife or your husband may, may be in difficult situations and it will take you to speak the word and to say it's going to be well because God says sometimes your partner may not be in a place where he or she is able to pray but it will take you to stand in the gap and say God heal our children make a difference and then you all that you know is Instagram this Instagram it doesn't move mountains it doesn't cast out devils it doesn't do anything Instagram, Facebook, those are your pastors. Those are the people you spend time with. Look, it's a temptation. What's up? Forwarded messages. Your messages are never original. And they are always contrary to scripture too. And that is what you spend your time on. You don't know God. But the Bible says... The people that know their God, they shall work strong. Daniel eleven thirty two, and they shall do exploits. It's not the people who have degrees like a thermometer. It's not the people who are so highly educated. When the storms of life come, which they will, it's not my law degree, my postgraduate degree that stands there and then the elements bow. It is the name of Jesus. It is the grace of God. It is his multiplied mercies. Amen. So invest in yourself. Prepare spiritually to be strong. Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in politics. Finally, my brethren, be strong in physics. Finally, my brethren, be strong in IT. God is not against all these things, but we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen.
Now you also have to prepare yourself emotionally. Emotionally. Marriage is a major emotional investment. And that is why sometimes when things don't work, people are torpedoed. They just go off. Amen? Because emotionally you need stamina. Amen? You need stamina. You can't just be a soulish Christian. Everything is just emotions. So when you feel angry, you just manifest in the marriage. You are not prepared. The Bible says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love, love, no hatred, love, suffers, 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 love, suffers. You will not see it in any movie or any book. But I love the Bible because it always tells us the truth. Love suffers. And whilst love is suffering, it is kind. Hey. You, this young age, when somebody annoys you, even at home, you close the door for five hours. You don't come out. You are emotionally not ready. This type of manifestation, you don't marry with it. And some of you, you've been praying to God for a partner. God has not answered because he knows that when you marry today, what's today's date? 18th. 20th. By 31st May, you'll be at your mother's door. I'm going to mama. By 31st May, you'll tell your wife, I want out. And this is what this current generation is doing. They are not, there's no fear of God. You don't ask God what his mind is because you are a fleshly, emotional Christian. Amen? And the Bible says to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Romans 8 verse 6, I believe. Amen? To be carnally minded. So even the way your mind works is not good. And your mind works according to what you have seen. You say, hmm, me, I'm even better than my father. My father, when he's angry here, he breaks everything. Uh, so you haven't seen anything. Even now I'm better. You see? You are not prepared. Emotionally, you'll be taxed. Amen. Because the one who hates you the most is the one who is closest to you. Amen. And the one whose head is most painful is the one you are close to. So emotionally, do you have an emotional shock absorber? You need it to marriage. You shock. Then you, you recover. Then you walk. Amen. But these are the tiny steps you take now in relation to other people, in relation to your pastor, in relation to those in authority, God is training you with all that. You, you are not subject to anything. You are not subject to any authority. So the word of God can never be an authority in your life. And emotionally, you are a baby. You are a baby. When you get angry, the things you do, when you get sad, 
It means you will not work for three days. If you don't work for three days, you will not be paid. But you need emotional stamina, not only for marriage, but in everything. Sometimes you are a minister, you are coming to preach, and you yourself, you have a challenge in your life. And you should be able to put your emotions aside and still preach the gospel from your heart. But if you are so emotional, when you stand there, oh, Pastor, what is it? You can't. Life can't go on like that. So emotionally, you need stamina. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride, which is the church, has made herself and himself ready. You are so selfish as a man. You are so self-centered. Everything is about you. How are you going to marry? The marriage that you are going to marry, your whole mind is, what will I get? What will I get? I'll get a sex partner. I'll get food. I'll get a clean home. And I'll get somebody to rule. Four reasons why I will marry. <laughs> Unfortunately, we all think about what we will get when we are going to marry. Because by nature, we are self-centered. So when people come for counseling, you say, so what do you like about her? <laughs> oh, Lady Reverend. She's a good cook. She's beautiful. She comforts me. She's very loving. Then you ask the girl, what do you like about the man? He's financially stable. He's a provider. He emotionally supports me. It's all good. But it is sad that the bottom line is that we are all looking out for our interests. So that when you enter the institution and you find that you are supposed to give more than you get, you become very surprised. You say, Lady Reverend, this is not what I signed up for. But God will teach you in your walk with him that you need self-control. It's a fruit of the spirit. Self-control, not other control. You see, all your life, you've been controlled by laws and bylaws and school rules. But you have never controlled yourself by the Holy Spirit. So now you've married, you are sleeping with every sister on every row in the church. Amen? And then when? We call it, Lady Reverend, it's not my fault. Young girls are my weakness. It's not my fault. So if you don't have self-control now, in marriage it's going to get worse. You are a sister, you are used to flowing with brothers, you are used to having some double life, you are used to, that's how you are. And then you say, now I've decided to settle, but you have not prepared or dealt with yourself. Self-control is nowhere to be found. The marriage is not going to work. Amen. So you need emotional shock absorber. At least write that one down. So that you can absorb the things in this life. Why do you say that? Because the Bible says, many, not few, are the afflictions of the righteous. I didn't write the Bible. Not of wicked people, though. Of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him from them all. So before God will deliver you, what will happen? 
You go to the office, you are a brother, you are flirting with all the people there. No, if you say, when I finish tasting all the soup, I'll choose one. You're emotionally not stable. When somebody says something you don't like, your reaction. Today I was talking to someone, she said that her husband could get so angry that he could rip the top of the piano in the anger that it will come off. And then one day she saw him do that and he lifted it and she saw that he will kill me. But you go to church, and all the sisters in church think you are so loving. But that area, you have not dealt with it. Emotionally, you need to grow up. Amen. You need to be financially ready. Not that you should get everything you need in this life. The only two things Adam and Eve had was a job. And that job would produce the wherewithal, like it would produce money for them to live. So you don't need to have all the things you need in this world. Like most sisters think, I must marry a self-made man. Really? The Bible says, what do we have that we didn't receive? You want to marry a self-made man? Wow. Sometimes, because of that, God blesses you. But because you are so materialistic, you can't see. And you need to both have a job and eyes for the future. Sometimes people have married, but you see that one of them is doing masters or finishing off her masters or finishing off her degree or finishing off. So you, you have a prospective future, like you have eyes for the future, so you are prepared. But if you can, I'm getting myself, what does the man do? <laughs> he does things. <laughs> things like what? Oh, lady reverend, sometimes... He does business, but it depends on if he's working. Sometimes he does nothing. He does nothing. You are hitching your life with such a person. You need to be financially ready. The brothers, you need to financially be a leader. The headship is not only control. It is also for you to be a provider. Amen. So if you say you are the head, be the head financially also. You see, when I got married to my husband, I was earning more than him. But it didn't make me the head. Amen? It was just a season in our lives, but it didn't make me the head. So it's not finances that you use to declare the head. It's God who has shared the roles and says, the man is the head. So don't say, because I earn more, I have now become the head. There's nothing like that. Amen? But you need to be financially ready so that you don't go and stand behind your parents' door at the end of every month that your money, you don't know how to balance it. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife. So you are not supposed to be going back and forth to your mother and your father when you marry. You should be a man. And you should be responsible. And that takes preparation, and it takes vision, and it takes looking ahead. Amen, somebody. Amen. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. You need to be ready physically. Reverend, why do you say that? Because when you marry in the night, you need physical strength to wrestle. Amen. 
And you need to renew your mind about sex. When you are being counseled, you need to renew your mind. Especially when you have been SU for a long time. And you see sex as sin. So when your husband touches you in the night, you say, hey, I thought you were holy. One lady I know, when she got married, the, the marital night, her husband was feeling happy, and then she said, hey, Reverend so-so and so on show. <laughs> the man paralyzed. <laughs> Amen. Because Christians don't talk about sex, have a lot of problems in that area, and cannot share it, and not open I'm not saying go and watch pornography because pornography is a vehicle of the world. The people in it are actors and actresses and they are not real. And the Bible is a greater sexual teacher than anything else. And it was written many years ago. When you read Songs of Solomon, you will see what it is. So the Bible has all these things. Why would you go and learn from the world? A lot of young people are hooked on pornography. So when they marry, they are looking for the blonde woman in the pornographic movie they watched. In Ghana, to this hair, it's not blonde. It does not fall. It stands in the night. You are looking for something that does not exist. Because you have allowed Satan to renew your mind instead of the word of God. And we have become like the world and we have a lot of problems and a lot of dissatisfaction and displeasure instead of growing up together with your spouse. What does the Bible say in Songs of Solomon? Draw me after you and let us run together. You grow together. You run together. That is God's plan. Amen? So you make yourself ready by keeping yourself pure. The Bible says you are, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, your body is a lot of kiosk. But a temple is a reverent place that you go to cautiously with reverence, with awe. That's who you are. But you have made yourself a lotto kiosk. Everybody, driver to me, Toby, mate to me, Toby, Opia, Toby. That's not God's plan. Amen. Amen. I think I'm combining the I do and I've done. Everybody has a share in what is being shared. Amen. Before you say I do, you should work with somebody you are agreed with or you are in agreement with. Amos 3, 3, can any two walk together except they be agreed? Amen. Can any two, Amos 3, verse 3, walk together except they be agreed? Hey, Reverend, does agreement mean just being in the same church? It can be one of the factors, but it is more than that. Does agreement mean we are both Christians. It starts from there, but it doesn't end there. 
Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen. Amen. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Amen. And I think it goes on to say, And what agreement does Christ have with Belial? Belial is demons. So God is saying, The unbeliever is darkness, you are light. The unbeliever is Belial. That's demons, and you are Christ. So, how can you mix the two? When you ask people, is he born again? Is she born again? They do everything. She's a black American. <laughs> that does not answer for it. I didn't write the Bible, but God says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So, you don't even have, uh, how do you say, the choice to choose an unbeliever as your spouse. Even believers are human, and you will have challenges. How much more? Somebody who doesn't know God. I once counseled a lady. She was going to marry an unbeliever. And, but she came to me after she had done. But she had spoken to some of our pastors before she said, I do. And they told her, this marriage is not going to work. The person is an unbeliever. You have different beliefs. You have different ways of respecting God. You have different lifestyles. It's not going to work. But I think she believed that she was in love. She told me herself that the pastor spoke to her from 10 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon, begging her to obey God and to do what was right. Well, she got married. And um, she was telling me, when she got married, the first night, she saw things wrapped up, whatever, soaked in blood. Real. I know her. I know the mother. I know her sisters. Real. Then after that, she saw that when her husband is sick, he calls on certain things. Not When she says, oh, let's go to the clinic. You have a temperature. He says no. Then he starts to call on the things. When the relatives come and visit, they call on the things. Then it came to pass, after a year or so, that they had a child. And when they had a child, the child was born. She saw that the man started to make slits on the child's back, his hand, putting things inside. Then after that, the child was not well. The child is not allowed to go to hospital. It has to be fetish priests, educated people. I know them. How did she end up there? That part of life was secret, and she didn't know. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. When you are going to church, he will be sleeping. Sometimes you marry a Christian, even Sundays he doesn't go to church. He says he's a Christian. The Bible says by their fruits you will know them. Sometimes as a pastor, some people too are very good at the beginning. Holy, serving God. But after a few months or years of the marriage, they change. So some of it you won't know, but what you know, you should not ignore the red flags 
and say, Lady Reverend, this is love. I've not seen it before. <laughs> Lady Reverend, this kind of love, no. When we say this kind God, or you, your own is this kind love. Oh. Amen. Do not be unequally yoked. And then when you are both Christians, you both believe in God, you are both born again. After that, you still have to be agreed because your vision at the time and the person's vision may not merge. I see that a lot in lives that relate to ministry. The woman has an aversion for ministry. Or the man has an aversion for ministry. You too, you say, God has called me. All that I want to do is to just serve God and just serve God. Then you meet this man. You can see that his vision is going this way. And you too, your vision is this way. And you are still going to marry him when there are signs that you can see. It's not going to take you far. And then later, your ministry, your call is destroyed. Can any two work? Except when you are talking about, oh, I went here and there was evangelism. I went for this meeting and the word was so powerful. You said a person is yawning, falling asleep. Or And you are still forcing. Can any two walk except they be agreed? You are not agreed on where you will live. You, you want to live in America. Your husband, who is yet to be your husband, is very strong at the time that he wants to live in Ghana. Then you say, when we marry, it will be resolved. It will get worse. When you marry, it will get worse. Amen. So you have to, for the things you can see, be agreed. Division is two visions, one going here and one going here. Sometimes you haven't married the person, but you can see that the person cannot follow your vision naturally. Naturally, she's not able. Or he's a man, but you can't reason with him about anything. Can any two walk except they be agreed? So you should be agreed in your values, your aspirations, your future, and where you think you are going. Please stop me when it's time for question and answer because I'm not looking at the clock. And then also, you have to count the cost. Amen? Luke 14, 27 to 28. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it. Amen. The Bible is saying, if you are going to build a tower, sit down, count the cost. Ask yourself, do I have enough to finish? And when you realize you don't have enough, you may not have to build that tower. Now, in this context, I am not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about what marriage entails and what it takes and whether that tower of marriage is something that you are going to be able to build. Amen, somebody. Now, the Bible gives a very powerful um, um, prophecy. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It gives a very, very powerful prophecy. First Corinthians chapter 7, 
it talks about the fact that they that shall marry shall have trouble in the flesh. I believe it's 31, 28, 31, thereabouts. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 28. But if you do not marry, you have not sinned. And if, it's a, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Amen. It's a prophecy. I didn't write the Bible. They who will marry shall have troubles. I like in James because it says that you will have trouble in the flesh. Because marriage will try you to see whether you can be self-controlled, whether you can put others first, whether you can... It's just two rivers meeting, and when they meet, there's turbulence, and then after a while, they can flow. Amen? So it's a prophecy every single person must receive. They that shall marry. It's not they that shall marry Christians. It's not they that shall marry pastors. It's not they that shall marry virgins. It's not they that shall marry St. Mary, Mother Mary, Hail Mary. No, they that shall marry shall have trouble in the flesh. So you must enter marriage knowing the reality and the truth. The marriage is more than the movies you have watched, more than the books you have read, more than the lives of the Kardashians that you've been watching. Amen. So you have to count the cost. That if the Bible is saying, I'll have trouble in the flesh, am I ready? Am I prepared to go through that? And the Bible even goes on to explain that the woman who is a virgin has less things to think about. And that he uses virgin for King James to say that they are married. 34. In fact, 33. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. The married man, not the woman, alone. How to please his wife and his interests are divided. <laughs> Amen? The married man, his interests are divided because now he has somebody in his life, somebody he has to care for. In verse 32, Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The married man is anxious about the, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Because when you come home, your wife will say, we need to talk, which men become afraid of. <laughs> we need to talk. But if you are unmarried, you don't have anybody, you don't have a beloved, there's nothing to need to talk about. That's why when you come to church, you pray, Kabaya, when we've closed, right, you are here. Because you, you don't have anybody waiting for you anywhere at home to do anything. Amen. And it doesn't just talk about the brothers, although it talks about the brothers first. And then it says in verse 34, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. The woman who is not married. How to be holy in the body and spirit. But nowadays the 
unmarried, you have passed somewhere. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Amen. She's supposed to care for her husband. She's supposed to have some peace at home. They are supposed to flow. She's supposed to be the Ephesians 5 woman. Wives, submit unto your own husband. Count the cost. Are you willing to submit? Amen, ladies? Women of the millennium. Amen. Some people say, I want to marry a lady reverend, but I'm a very strong feminist. God says in Ephesians 5, wives, every girl is not a wife. And you have a choice whether to be a wife or to stay a girl. But when you choose to be a wife, you count the cost. And the cost is when there's no agreement, one person's view prevails. And that one person is your captain. And he's steering the ship. And he can steer it anyway. I think marriage has more implications for a woman. Amen. And you, the, the husband. Say, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. For me, your work is more difficult than ours. As Jesus Christ loved the church. Hey, then your love is not measuring up. And gave himself for it. How many husbands will give themselves to the wife? They, they, you don't even understand the verse. Amen. So you have to count the cost. Because this is marriage. I'm ending because I have to make time for question and answer. So let's read Ephesians chapter 5 and I'll end with that. We can't say everything in 22. Let me read from 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I like this verse because many people think submission is just the woman. I didn't write the Bible. But before he goes to 22, there's 21, which you cannot skip. And it says, submitting yourselves. Not somebody forcing you to submit, but submitting yourselves one to another. Amen. So yes, you are the head. But the Bible says there are places where you submit one to another. Hmm. Then it comes to say, submitting to one, ana one another out of reverence for Christ. Not because the person deserves it. Not because the person has always done right. But out of reverence, a fear for God, you do it. And then it goes on to say, wives, not girlfriends, not beloveds. Not pipelines, not breakthroughs, but wives. So before you become a wife, ask yourself, am I ready to submit? And also, can I submit to this man? That's why you should choose your head carefully. Because once the head is spoiled, the legs will work anyway. If you don't have a good head, the body will go anyway. Hey, why? Amen. So wives... Submit yourselves. And what I love, the Bible doesn't say wives, uh, husbands, make sure they submit. No, it's not beautiful that way. It says wives, you yourselves, submit yourselves. 
and to your own husbands. We are good at submitting to other people's husbands. We are good to submitting to pastors. You are good to, at, at submitting to your boss at work. You are even good at submitting to your colleague at work. But when it comes to your husband, Nayeka, ask unto the Lord. That's where your rock, your foundation comes in. And that's why many people cannot do this. Because unless you see the God factor, every human being cannot submit. But your love for God and your reverence for God will help you to submit. So it says that in submitting, see God and not the man. Amen, ladies. He said, Reverend, I did better than him in school. Lady Reverend, in our class, he was always last. I was always first. It's not about that. Amen. As unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church, but he doesn't kick us. He doesn't slap us. He doesn't disrespect us. He is the head, but he does it with dignity and love. Count the cost. You as a man, you solve your everything by slaps and kicks. Count the cost. You are not ready. He's the head of his church, his body, and is himself its savior. He's not just the head, oh. He's the savior of the body. You, you say you are ahead. You save nothing about your wife. You don't save her reputation, her health, her, if anything at all, you destroy it. But Christ, the Bible says, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. What do you deliver your wife from? What do you rescue your wife from? <clears throat> now, as the, church is, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. When we read it, you think it's a poem. When you marry, you see it's real. <laughs> when you have to decide where to live, I've, I've not been able to solve some of the problems. And the husband says, I want to live here. And the wife says, I want to live in Iceland. I want to live in America. I don't want to live here. Beautiful couple. And then I counsel, I say that, look, your husband can provide for you and everything. You know, so just stay here. He, as the head, wants to be here. You see, so you can't be here and there. No, Lady Reverend, I want to go to America. I want to. Then they go. And then they are not able to see their husbands much because both of them work. And then later, the man falls into sin and the marriage is destroyed. Then the woman points the finger and says, you are a bad man, but it started with you not submitting. The Bible says, come together quickly sexually. Let Satan tempt you. As you are sitting in the same house fasting, then you, you have gone to America. Perpetual fast, two years, three years. It's true. Bible says make straight paths for your feet. But we make traps and snares. And later we say, oh, it's the person. It's the, you are not greater than God's word. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Duties of the wife. So ask your, the next sister, are you ready? 
Husbands, love your wives. I think I've talked about that. As Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Wow. Having cleansed her. Are you cleansing your wife? Or you are just criticizing her? Having cleansed her by the washing of water. With what? With uh, Geshia? No. With the word. So that he might present the church to himself. Whatever you do to your wife is for you. A wife is like a computer. What you put in is what you get out. I didn't say it. He said, wash her with the water of the word. But the bottom line is so that you may present her to yourself. A glorious church. A glorious church. Christ is our example. Without spots and without wrinkle. You, since this woman married you, her acne and her pimples have multiplied. <laughs> you know, the Bible says without spots. <laughs> Your work is very hard, though. <laughs> so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. So, how she is supposed to be holy without blemish, whatever, is your work. Huh? 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. If you love your wife as your own body, you treat her well. He who loves his wife loves himself. So, those who don't love their wives don't love themselves. No one ever hated his own body, but nourishes. To nourish is to put fertilizer back in. And cherish, to hold dear. How come you, every time your wife is rated fifth in everything? Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Then he comes to say, therefore a man shall leave his mother and his father. So cut down, sit down, and count the cost. All these wild, wild things. Are you ready? The place is quiet, though. <laughs> Sit down and count the costs. Finally, I think I mentioned that God does not give us one person to fulfill all our needs. There's nothing like that. God gives you somebody you are close to and gives you one person that you are close to in a certain way. But God does not make one man, one woman to meet all your needs. No, it's not a realistic thing. And it puts too much pressure on marriages. You're expecting your husband to be everything, your wife to be everything. She can't because she's human. He can't because he's human. But your everything must come from him. Your life must flow through him. Your strength must come from him. David said, the Lord is the strength of my life. I understand that so much from my own life because I know that if my strength were my strength, I would not be standing here now. But the Lord is the strength of my life. And many times he just comes to me and then he whispers. Yesterday he told me, within you is an indestructible seed. And I said, Lord, really? He said, yes, the seed cannot be destroyed because it's of me. 
I'm like, wow, what a revelation. And it strengthened me. Amen? So you too. It's not by the strength. It's not by might. But it is by his spirit. So let's build our houses and our lives on the right foundation. And we will find ourselves in the right place. Amen. Are we ready with the questions? Thank you. I hope I answered a lot of your questions. The questions will not be many. Don't worry. Can you have a male best friend aside your beloved husband? When God created Adam and Eve, he didn't create another Adam so that when Eve is not happy, that other Adam is like, you know people now say side chick, but from the question you are asking, is side what? <laughs> so I would say that the Bible says all things are lawful. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So everything may be lawful, but is it going to help your marriage? Is it going to help your home? Is it going to help your union? Is it going to help your walk even with God? You say he's a male friend. Maybe he's also somebody's husband or somebody's beloved. Then the two of you say it's platonic. I don't think it is helpful. So some things may be lawful, but it's not helpful. So don't do things that are not helpful to you in your work with God and in your relationship to your husband. So I do not think it is a good idea. Amen. Good evening, Mary. Why is it that women lose interest in sex after childbirth? Because childbirth is very difficult. That's why it's called labor. And um, it's been known psychologically that some women even suffer postpartum depression, which in our side of the world, we don't know or didn't know about. So if somebody has just had a baby and at the drop of her heart, she just cries at the drop of it, she, she says, postpartum depression. It is a clinical condition. Amen. And so... I think that the hormonal changes and going through all that makes the woman tired. And not only that, she has to wake up in the night to feed the baby. Every time the baby says, hey, she has to wake up because they say feed on demand. Do you see? So she has become this engine that has to produce all this for the baby. And then mind you, she has often not been on that road before to start with. It's a new experience. And also, she may be nursing some wounds already. She's not having adequate sleep. She's having to run the home. And she's having to look after you. I am not saying it's right. But I'm saying that. You said, what are the causes? Or something like that. What? Why? So I'm explaining why. You know, so all these things make it very burdensome and complex for her. So for her to come through... I would personally advise, like Paul said, it's not in the Bible, 
verbatim. But I would advise that you lovingly help her and bring her out and show her understanding and help her like how you know that she will feel a bit relieved. And when she is relieved, hopefully she will flow with you in the bedroom. Hopefully. I hope I've answered your question. But it's, not a, it's often not a personal thing. That she's angry with you. She wants to punish you. You know, like my husband said that when the first child came in our lives, then he saw that he was going to be overthrown on his throne. So he came back and sat on his throne. It may not always be that way. Are Jehovah's Witnesses believers, Christians, and can a believer who is not a Jehovah's Witness get married to such a one? I would say I, I don't think they believe in being born again. And the Bible says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. According to John 3, I didn't say it. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So based on that. And then also their beliefs are totally different from a born again Christian's beliefs. And then even to go to Pentecostalism, to come to charismatism. Yeah, so I don't think it is advisable. You are unequally yoked. And you must advise yourself. Amen. You marry a Jehovah's Witness. God loves them all. Bless their darling hearts. But your child is sick. They don't believe in blood transfusion. You believe in blood transfusion. You are at the hospital shouting at Mani moja me mani moja, mani moja me mani. You see, life alone is complex, so don't go and add extra complexities. So I would say our beliefs are very, very different. They don't believe in Holy Ghost baptism with the evidence of speaking in tongues. They don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Their, their interpretation of the last days is very, 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 very different. I know because as a child, I was admitted in hospital for a long period at a certain time and the nurse tried to convert me to Jehovah's Witnesses. So I know a bit more. So I had to study my Bible. Then my Sunday school teacher came to visit me and I told him and he shared certain things with me. So I got to know that we are two very different people. I have two women that I'm dating at the moment. I love all of them. Please, what should I do? If I were the two women, I'll leave you, brah. I'll leave you. I don't have time to waste. I'll leave you. But if you are a child of God, I started at the beginning by saying, God did not create Adam and two women in the garden. And the Bible says that if a man desires to be a bishop or a leader even in the church, he should be the husband of one wife. And when David and the kings, when Israel asked for a king, God said, do not have a king because when you have a king, bad things will happen. 
And I was surprised when God started to list the bad things he was saying could happen. You see, and one of it was that they will multiply wives. Wives unto themselves. So it means that it's not something that God liked. Um, Deuteronomy 17, 17. I don't like to speak my mind. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So God talks about covetousness. Don't multiply silver and gold. In the same vein, he says, don't multiply wives. He was telling the Israelites that if you say you want a king, I would like to lay down certain things because the unbelievers do that. But you, 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 you don't have to do that. You see? So he says, don't multiply horses. Don't let the people go back to Egypt. And then 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So you cannot multiply beloveds unto yourself. Amen? You cannot. You cannot just live by feelings. I feel like doing this, so I do it. No. You can't. I didn't make the rules, and I didn't write the Bible. But God's standards are high. And how can you love two women at the same time? You are not ready to marry at all. At all. And if you are a Christian, you are living in sin. And perhaps deception. Amen. Is it good to have access to one another's phone? Hmm. It's a personal decision. My question is, the use of mobile phones now has become a great bone of contention to most relationships and marriages. True, because what you are doing on your phones are terrible. Is it right for man or woman to password his or her phone? I do. And say, let's all have or enjoy our privacy or independence. Is it good to have access to one another's phone? I think that depends on what the couple decide. But... For me, it doesn't occur to me that let's have the same password and I'll look at yours and maybe I don't have time. So I don't. <laughs> it has never occurred to me. You see. And also, there are things that you chat with your girlfriends about that are not necessarily bad, but it's you. Marriage doesn't mean you lose all your independence. And everything is so... No. And I think also that when people become police inspectors and they are inspecting the phones it leads to a lot of problems but having said that you the perpetrator what are you doing that is making the person look on your phone I've counseled people who what they've seen on the phone they just forward to their email encrypted messages and then they confront the person I never did I never shouting Throwing tantrums, the person has evidence. Evidence, I mean, conclusive evidence, like we say in law. Why? But you, the person, you cannot make yourself a personal Holy Ghost or a spiritual policeman. 
because what a person wants to do, he will do. But sometimes in discovering that it makes you wiser as a wife or a husband, and it makes you know how to live. I spoke to a husband, and what he chanced over on his wife's phone, it was not easy. At the office, this, that, that, that. And she was very protective over her phone. When he passed, he said, hey, why, why? He has not said anything. But you see, the Bible says about God that all things are naked unto him with whom we have to do. So for me, you don't have to do with me. It's the God who rules in the affairs of men. And he says all things are naked unto him. So if indeed you are a Christian and you are leading that secret life, it's not me you should be afraid of. You should be afraid of the great God who sits in the heavens. And when God says he's bringing you to shame, nobody can change that. Yeah, I was asking my husband, why is it that God, when people are small, maybe you are a small pastor, a small minister beginning, and you have certain things you do, he will never say it. He will wait. He will wait, wait, wait. When you become a cardinal, then he moves the curtain. I, I said to him, why does God do that? Does he not know that many lives depend on the person? And my husband said, well, he's God. And he just chooses what he wants. So your Christianity should be between you and God, not between you and people who see. So on your phone, you have naked girls from the church, then you're also sending your own. All these things I'm talking about are real. They are things I've dealt with. In one situation, 12 girls who sit, they say they are helpers. All of you, you are sending naked, whatever, to the deacons of the church. Are you mad? And if you do it with impunity. I was talking to somebody yesterday, said that the lady meets her in church and then has an attitude. And you are sending her husband pictures. You have gone to the beach. You are wearing a bikini. Then you've lifted your leg. You are... Then when your wife is coming, you are hiding your phone. Look, Christ is stronger than your wife. Oh. And when God's judgment comes, it's not easy. So with phones, I would say that sometimes to save you from a heart attack, don't look at the phone. Sometimes too, I've found that God reveals things to people. So when I was talking to the person, I said, you've seen this and it's going on and on and on. Carve a future for yourself. Carve a life for yourself. Think about what you're going to do in the future and just leave him to what he's doing. So you feel, oh, my wife, she's always here. She never changes. She's changed. But she's just physically present. As a woman or man does faith take the place of characters in marriage i don't understand as a married couple is it right to engage in oral sex or sexual styles how do we know the right one hebrews 13 verse 4 hebrews 13 verse 4 marriage is honorable and the marriage bed is undefiled but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Amen. So the marriage bed is undefiled, but 
sometimes people have been subjected to very terrible things that they do not agree with or cannot flow I mean where you have a wife somebody was sharing with me where you have a wife and you the man want to sleep with her as you sleep with another man through the back and all the that place is sagging is coming out real life and then you tell her you're supposed to submit you're supposed to live as Christ whatever when you come every night you want a PC at 2 a.m. after all this so the marriage bed is undefiled which means that you it's not um, judging that don't do this don't do this don't do this but there are certain things you yourself from the uh, how do you say from the effects you should know that you shouldn't do it. My husband told me somebody who had been gay spoke to him. A young person and said, Bishop, you know it's very demonic because the passageway that you go through, so many bad things come out. So the whole place smells. The whole place is with feces and you are moving on. How? So the marriage bed is undefiled. But it's not everything you have to do. But I'm saying that Christians can be, still be adventurous and happy. Do you understand? So we say in our church that with oral sex, it is a gray area. Because some people say yes, some people say no, some people say whatever. Now you, these young people, you know all this. Me, when I was this age, I didn't even know. When they say such a thing, I don't even know what they are talking about. But the way you are all quiet and not, hey, advanced learner's dictionary. So that's what I would say. But I don't think it's bad to be adventurous and all that. The marriage bed is undefiled. Okay? And um, quickly, quickly. What do you do if you are, your husband and family all dislike you and disrespect you? And your husband feels you are devising even against him. So he will not talk, chat, nor touch you. Also will not provide financially I think that I often tell people that pray to God and ask him in which way am I contributing to this problem and even if you are contributing 1% use your 99% energy to work on the 9% and then begin to talk to your husband but don't talk to him when you haven't started to make amends and when you are making the amends you are making it unto God and also you say he doesn't like you his family doesn't like you we like to say that but sometimes there's something we call in law contributory negligence there's been negligence but you contributed and there may be a problem but you are contributing sometimes you contribute without knowing maybe you feel they don't greet me, they don't mind me, so I will also not mind them. But the Bible says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And that takes the grace of God. But when you ask for his grace, he will give it to you. Amen. So then you walk in love. He said, love your enemies. So if your in-laws are your enemies, then they are the ones who deserve your love. So the Bible is saying, you see, God's logic is different. And the Bible says, love never fails. Often, love turns around. Number two, seek counsel. 
People like to appear perfect in church and appear perfect that their marriage has no problem, there's no difficulty. But in this life, we all need a doctor sometimes. So if sometimes your, your marriage needs a doctor, you must seek help. But when you seek help and you are counseled, will you believe it and will you receive it? Therein lies the difficulty. You know, so don't wait till things are spoiled. But come and see your pastor. Because sometimes when you go and see your mother, because you are her daughter, her son, she will naturally and emotionally side you. She will say that, I didn't bring you up that way. These people, they are there, then you are empowered. But maybe you have a problem. So when you come to your pastor, and your pastor will use the word of God to counsel you. And based on that counsel, you receive light and you walk. And I would also say, pray about your problems. A lot of things are not just like that. The Bible says, our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. But don't pray that fire, burn them. Fire, burn them. Jesus said, love your enemies. He didn't say, call fire to burn them. When his disciples said, Lord, shall we call fire to burn these people? He said, you, are, you don't know of what spirit you are. You don't know. That's why you are calling fire to burn the people. You see, so when we say fire burn, I hope it's demons and not your mother-in-law, your sister-in-law. It's not scripture. <laughs> Amen. Don't worry, I don't keep so long with the questions. We are running to the finishing line. How do you know he's the right one? And how do you cope with someone who has decided to do full-time ministry? Cope, but has no job for qualification at the moment and spends the whole day pray, playing instruments in church. Is he playing instruments as an employee? I don't understand your... Is he playing instruments because he's an employee? Or he's playing instruments as a hobby? If he's playing <laughs> instruments as a hobby, then you have cause to be concerned. But if he's playing instruments because he feels that uh, uh, that's the work he's doing, then it's different. But you are saying... He doesn't have qualifications. He doesn't what? He doesn't have money. He has no job. He has no qualifications at the moment and spends the whole day playing instruments in church. Well, the Bible says that he who does not work must not eat. But you see, some people look at ministry and think that it's not work. Do you understand? One of our pastors was going to get married. And the mother of the lady said that the pastor does not work. Because people feel ministry is not work. When my husband came full time, people said, oh, so your husband doesn't work again. Because for them, ministry is not work. Work is being a doctor a lawyer, an administrator, a secretary, but in ministry, you don't work. So it depends on how you are defining it. By the book of Thessalonians, Paul says, he who does not work must not eat. 
And also, God will always let you be doing something when he calls you. So when he called Elisha, he was plowing and then God called him. When he called Moses, he was looking after sheep and God called him. When he called David, he was looking after sheep in the wilderness and God called him. So you must be doing something responsible in this life and not say that God called me, I have nothing and I'm called into full-time ministry. Paul said that I have worked with these hands. So sometimes you start from lay ministry so that you can support yourself. And Paul said, we don't want to be a burden on anybody. That was another aspect of his ministry. So you have to be doing something. Either you are studying, you, you are doing something. Even if you want to be a minister, you are training towards what you say you are going to become. But to go to church every day just to play instruments, I think maybe she is putting it that way. You know? So, it depends. And I think that if he's been in full-time ministry, you seem to be very angry about that. Perhaps he's not the right person for you. Because you seem to, from, for me... What you have written, you see, he said, how do you cope with someone? Cope. You see, cope means it's a difficulty and you are coping. Who has decided to do, has decided to do full-time ministry. So sometimes you yourself, you don't like the ministry. So if you don't, please leave somebody's son in peace. Lady Reverend, it is, okay, is it okay for you, your in-law, to say, your next training is... You need to dress like the way she used to dress when she was much younger. Take it that she's helping you to become a better person. She's trying to say, maybe you're dressing, you should up it. And if it is true, don't be angry. Take it that God uses your enemies to make you better, okay? That's how I see it. That's how I see criticism. My beloved is in another church and says... We will not join my church even after marriage. What problem awaits me, please? <laughs> the problem of non-submission <laughs> awaits you. She says she won't. She's not now going to change her mind. She says she won't. So it's, it's, it's a sign. You see, when we see the signs in our um, mind, I'm surprised you keep bringing when we see the signs in our relationship, we always think when we marry to go away. But I tell single people, whatever you are seeing you don't like, multiply by thousand in the marriage. So that is what awaits you times thousand of non-compliance, non-flowing, non-deciding. That is likely what you are, to, you are. So you have to sit down and talk about it and see the way forward. But if at this stage the person is not flowing, it is not likely that she will change or her mind or he will change his mind as you go along. Lady Reverend, is it acceptable to God for a husband and wife to have sex while the wife is having her period? I really... In the Old Testament, it wasn't. In the New Testament, they may say it's not hygienic. But I used to know a military man who would go and... Um, missions for a long time and then he will come home for just a day or two after a long surgeon and whenever he came his wife would be seen red so they decided that they will wash and they will flow but 
that is your personal decision. So I can't tell, but you can seek counsel, further counsel. Please, I would like to know if Casimir's marriage is complete in the eyes of God. Casimir's marriage is not complete because, legally speaking, Casimir's marriage is intrinsically polygamous. I don't know if you understand it, but it means that at the root is polygamy. We have three forms of marriage in Ghana. Marriage under the ordinance, where it's one man, one wife, and then you sign. Then we have Kasri marriage, which is marriage. No, we have Islamic marriage, sorry, where you are allowed to marry four women at a go. I mean, in your life. And then we have Kasri marriage, where you can marry as many women up unto infinity. So that when you as a Christian, you go and contract a customary marriage. You are saying that I'm wife number one, but you can have a thousand more like Solomon. That's what you are saying. So in choosing which law should govern your marriage, it is advisable to choose the law that goes with the Bible, not what people call the white man's marriage. Because after all, we do do customary marriage. But as Christians, we say that it's not enough. God has to come into the marriage and also sign so that the marriage is one woman, one wife, not one woman, four husbands, four husbands. And when you've studied sociology, there are places where women marry more than one. And in our church being set up in so many places, the people in Fiji, the women marry more than one. So that's the problem for our pastors. So when they become born again, they have to go and counsel the women to let some of the husbands go. And when I was sharing it with my husband, I saw that he was not smiling. You know, so if you go by what man is saying, the marriage will be so varied according to different customs and different societies. But God says, Adam and Eve, not Adam, Steve, Stephen and Stevana, nothing like that. You see, so that is why we counsel you to marry under the ordinance. Now, whilst we are at it, let me say that if you marry Sister Essie customarily, what we call engagement. So I have a problem when we say engagement because it is marriage and it is recognized in the eyes of the law. But we say, go on and sign and have and a marriage under the ordinance so that you are in sync with scripture and also let there be a blessing because you can have a marriage under the ordinance with no prayer it is allowed they just say this it's, it's a state law so they just read the things and you are okay you are married you know but sometimes just to sign let a pastor come let him speak God's blessing let him lay hands on you so that you are acknowledging God in all that you do but if you marry sister A under Kashmir law. You don't go on to marry her under the ordinance. Then you meet Sister B and you wed her and you take her to church and she signs. Your marriage to Sister B does not exist in the eyes of the law. Do you understand? If they are two different people. But if you marry Sister A and, under Kashmir law and then you go and do ordinance with the same person, it holds. But you cannot start with customary marriage and then your second marriage is under the ordinance with somebody else. 
Or you cannot start with the wedding and they say, I've married a second wife traditionally. In the eyes of the Lord, that second traditional marriage does not exist. So many people are wearing white gowns, going around, why are you in the missus? You are not a wife. Under the law, you are not a wife. But this is for marriage counselors and maybe Christians also to know. So it's a legal thing. People are always saying, oh, he has wedded his second wife. The second wife is not a wife unless he has divorced the first one legally. So yes, do you have to go through marriage by ordinance to make it complete? I think I've answered that. Should you break up with someone you realize is not as spiritually mature but has every other good quality? <laughs> What's your take on dating or marrying a, a guy younger than you, two years and younger? Well, the Bible doesn't say, so I can't also say that if you marry a man younger, it's not good. But we know that we women grow older quickly, they say. So you should marry a man who can keep to the covenant. We have some that have worked. One of my bishops was telling me there was an eight-year gap between a man and a woman. And he had, he was so doubtful. But he was telling me that it has really worked for so many years and it's still working. So it depends on the two people and their commitment. But usually, later the people come and say, no, I've married my grandmother, I don't want. And then it becomes a problem. And then someone you know is spiritually not mature. It depends on what you value. I value spiritual things. So when the person is spiritually mature, I would like it. But if the person is not spiritually mature, but I know that he's always reaching out to the things of God to grow, then there's hope. I may consider the person. But if he gives me everything else and he's not spiritual, I don't want because I have to have priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other qualities shall be added unto me. Amen. What do I do for when I'm trying to be humble and not boastful? I'm seen as childish and immature. I think that for every uh, criticism, you just take what it is and tell God, God, they say I'm childish and immature. If I really am that, reveal it to me and help me. And even when I don't see, I'm going to work as if it's true. It doesn't change anything about me. God doesn't condemn. It's human beings who condemn you. But in Romans 8, 1, the Bible says, There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Ghost will convict you, but it will not condemn you. But human beings will condemn you. So you have to overcome the spirit of condemnation. Accept criticism in good faith and work with God to become a better person. Okay? How do you handle a partner that wants you to live with, uh, wants to live with you in a family house temporarily after marriage? It is not advisable. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife. It brings too many problems. It brings in-laws into your marriage. You have just married. You need to make your own mistakes and grow up together. And already you are introducing a third party. Sometimes the house is an outhouse somewhere and you really have nowhere to go. But you should work at getting somewhere to go so you can move out quickly. Please kindly advise on a situation where the lady's decision should always be supreme. You are not in charge. When the husband disagrees, she does not love. I think that you probably have a strong-headed wife. It may also be temperamental. She may be choleric, and choleric women are very strong. So sometimes, it's not that they have decided to be strong-headed. 
but it is their weakness and you have to help them overcome it. So you also should be firm and again, seek counsel and help and talk to your wife about it, but you have to take the oversight as a man. That doesn't mean bully her. What is the ultimate biblical purpose of marriage? Oh, it's a lot. Because God saw that Adam was alone. He made a help meet. Because God wanted us to be able to procreate and to um, add to his creation in a legal way. Because God expected that we would comfort each other. The Bible says when Rebecca came into Isaac's life, he was comforted. And it's also to avoid fornication. Because if you are not married, you are not supposed to be having sex. Amen. As a lady, can you propose to a man when you have interest? Well, I'm old school, and I have a bit of a problem with that. I think that even if you are going to propose, let it look like he proposed because of decorum. Because I've met, I have male friends who later tell me, do you know, I didn't even propose to her. Later, they tell us they have even married. Then they come and tell me, do you know, I didn't really choose her. I didn't really propose to her. So, and the Bible says, when a man has found a good thing, or when the good thing has found a man. So, um, like Ruth, Naomi said, go and sleep at the feet of Boaz. And then when he has eaten and he's full, and cover his legs a bit, I think it was to catch his attention. She said, anoint thyself, and don't touch him, but just speak to him. And when she went to the threshing floor, it worked. So there are, there are ways you can encourage the brother to say what he has to say. But I don't think that you should take over because a woman should be pursued. Amen. So you can do that in more exciting ways. As a church worker, I found myself fornicating with my beloved. I have prayed over and over again. But still, as soon as we are together, it happens. How do I come out of this? Of this? Something tell life. Anyway, the Bible says, flee youthful lusts. But many of us, we negotiate youthful lusts. And we discuss youthful lusts. And we don't flee. When Joseph was approached by Potiphar's wife. He didn't say, I'm a macho man spiritually. I'm very strong and I can overcome everything. He took off his coat and he ran. But you, you are meeting in dark places. You are meeting where, place, uh, where it's not conducive. The Bible says that make straight paths for your feet. So when we were coming up, we were taught in the scripture union that when we are together, we should leave the door open. That when we are together, we should not sit so intimately close because the passions are burning and you are in love. That when we are together, we shouldn't go to dark places. So when you make straight paths for your feet, it is likely that you will not um, fall so much. So God expects you to also use your wisdom and your mind. So I think in 2 Timothy 2.22 2 Timothy 2.22 2 
the Bible says, flee also youthful lusts. So fleeing is between running and flying. By you, you have been sitting and enjoying. It's not right. So you have to run away. And you and your beloved must set, um, how do I say, limits and boundaries of what you will accept in your relationship and what you will not accept. Sometimes I say, oh, Lady Reverend, we just start kissing. And then we saw that. So don't start. Don't start. The Bible says, henceforth have we no confidence in the flesh. So don't have confidence in the flesh. And it will give you problems later. You will have problems of trust issues. Because she sees that you are capable of sleeping outside marriage. And she's also capable. And before you know, seeds of, I've seen it many times, seeds of mistrust are sown and so many things happen. And later you tell her that she is Delilah and that she killed the call of God on your life. Make straight paths for your feet. Don't trust in your body. Make, I mean, sit down and think through it and live by what you are saying. So open the door so that nothing can happen. Anybody can come in. And because of that, you have protected yourself. Do you understand? And also, Bible says it's better to marry than to bend. So if you are of marriageable age and you like your beloved, you can look after each other. You are okay. Please marry. It's a way of killing fornication. Amen. Can two people who are really in love continue a relationship when they find out they are both AS for genotype? Well, we personally don't advise it, but we don't force it because your constitutional right is freedom of choice. So you decide what you want to do. But you see, issues and difficulties can kill marriage love in a marriage because my husband tells me that often when people are SS they come to the hospital so much their mothers are not able to work their folders are like this it's it's very difficult so if you don't know it's different but if you know then you make an informed decision so I have had friends who have advised it's not going to work but I think that chemically you people get attracted to each other because I had a friend four times, he was always attracted to A's, always. But eventually, he married an AA because he knew that he was a pharmacist himself. He knew that he didn't want this type of difficult marriage is already difficult. Then you are bringing an extra, extra basket of always, and financially it drains you, you get frustrated. You, so if you know, then I personally, not the word of God would advise that it's not wise. You count the cost and you see whether it's worth it. But it's a personal decision. In my church, if you decide that you still want to go ahead in spite of our advice, there's nothing we can do. We have to marry you and believe God with you. Should Christians of different denominations date or marry? I think so. Once they believe the same God and the same things. Please, can a lady marry a man she's older than? I think I've answered that. I think so. Derek Prince was 26 years younger than his wife. The wife was 26 years older. And the marriage worked. I know you don't know him, but he was a great man of God. Please, will you open an account? Should you open an account with your husband? It's a personal decision. But I think you can operate 
a life as a joint account without having a joint account. I don't have a joint account, but we live our lives as if we have a joint account. And what I have found is that sometimes not having a joint account is a blessing because when this person's account is down, this one will show this up. And then sometimes too, you have your separate accounts and then you have a joint account. So it depends on you and what you believe, but there's no hard and fast rule. What do I do if I'm in a blood covenant with my spouse? But now I know the truth and I want to come out. Come out in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, and you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if you know the truth, you must walk in the truth. So you need to break that covenant in the name of Jesus and by the blood of the Lamb. And you need to start a new covenant with Christ because it's not based on the word of God. Can you love someone but you don't like the character of the person? Can you like the behavior of a person but you don't love him? It's possible, but you see, love is a decision. And because of that, so many of us, we don't get married. Hey, this, is this last one. So many of us don't get married because we are looking for some whoosh to come over us. And usually that whoosh doesn't lead to anything. It's just emotions. And you can't always trust emotions. So it's better to trust the spirit and to trust your judgment because God expects you to use your mind and to trust your desires. Yes, you should like the person. But sometimes your foolish reason for not liking the person, it doesn't make sense. I have friends who tell me I don't like him because he didn't go to the right school. But he didn't go to the right school, but he's a good man. He's the one God has prepared for you. And every time you are postponing, 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 before you know, you say that God didn't help you. But God helped you, but you didn't open your eyes and see. And some of you, when you look at the pastors, your boss, the great men of God you see, you feel that that's how they have always been. So you are not prepared to have faith and marry them as they are, with nothing and bones, and not looking attractive. You are not allowed. You are not prepared. But when you see Pastor Kujo standing and say, Shall we lift our hands and say, Ah, Pastor Wayne, I'm a penal. But it has been a journey. It has been a walk before he has come there. So you too, when you get your bony husband, take him small, small. As you give him good food, flesh will come, handsomeness will come, personality will come, and you will be blessed. Amen. Finally, Lady Reverend, what do you do when your wife fornicates? Is it fornicates? She's, she, has a, she commits adultery. A married person commits adultery. What do you do? You confront it. Sin must be confronted. You confront it. And when it's not changing, you go to a higher authority, like your pastor, and you talk about it. And when it's not changing, you see, like court, you start with district court, and after that you go to high court, then after that you go to court of appeal, then after that you go to Supreme Court, then when Supreme Court decides, it's finished. You know, so don't just sit with it, cover it, be suffering in silence. Sometimes you may even be harboring something, you will do something terrible. So confront it and let 
a pastor or somebody who is a good Christian counselor come into it and speak and let there be change and if there's no change you may have to advise yourself but that will be your personal decision so God bless us all and help us I want us to just stand on our feet for a moment and I want you to commit your life into God's hands I want you to say Lord I want to build my life on you I want you to be the center of my life Jesus I don't love you like I should I'm not growing as a Christian the foundation is shaky and is not there and Lord if it's there may I not rest in that but may I go for it stretch forth to the higher calling in God pray that Lord I want to be deep Lord I want to be spiritual Lord, I want to be devoted. It's not about marriage. It's about Jesus. He comes first. And when he comes, he adds everything else to you. Open your mouth and pray. And say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him This is a song of dedication and rededication Daily It's time to surrender all I Oh, shall we lift up our hands in surrender to him? And those of us who are living in sin, and those of us who are living in a way as if we have no God, and those of us who just live in the pleasures of sin, and just church is just a routine. Tonight, I sense the Holy Ghost saying, it's time to surrender all. Surrender your flesh. Surrender your appetites. Surrender your uncontrollable desires. Surrender your character. Surrender your lack of reverence for the things of God.
talk to Jesus. He's walking up and down these aisles. He's not here to condemn you. But he can also not leave you the way you are. He's here. He's reaching out to you. He says, come higher. Come deeper into the things of God. You want to say, Lord, from tonight, I ask you for a new beginning, new strength, new love. May I pursue you, Lord. May I be somebody who pursues you. May I be a word-based Christian. I surrender all. I surrender. You are here tonight. You are not born again. You are not sure whether you will go to heaven or hell when you die. Yes, we came for a youth seminar. But God wants to reach out to you this evening. Lady Reverend, pray for me. I'm not serious with God. Lady Reverend, I'm not even sure where I'll go if I were to die. I don't know where I'll spend eternity. Lady Reverend, I've been running my life myself. But tonight, I want to say yes to Jesus. Lady Reverend, pray for me. Every eye closed and every head bowed. You are like that here tonight. Lift up your hands. Let it go high above your shoulder. It's not about you. It's not about the person next to you. It's about Jesus. He's reaching out to you this evening. Lift up your hands high above your shoulder. And I will pray with you. High above your shoulder. I see your hands. God bless you. God bless you. And if you have lifted up your hands, do one more thing. Come forward. Show Jesus that you are not ashamed of him. Come forward. You lifted up your hands. Give me the privilege of praying with you. You lifted up your hands. Come forward. Come forward. I saw the hands. Unless it didn't mean that. Lady Reverend, pray for me. I need a new beginning. I need to be serious with God. Come forward. I'm going to close soon. This may be the opportunity of your life. I'm bargaining for your soul. It's not about being in a church. It's about being in Christ. Father, I pray for your children in these difficult times. Your word says in the last days, perilous, difficult, and stressful times shall come. But Lord, I pray for grace. I pray for strength to overcome the enemy and to overcome every darkness. I speak to their anxieties. I speak to, Lord, their needs. I pray, O oh God, that they will believe that when they seek you first, everything else will be added. May they change their priorities from tonight. May they serve you and seek you first so that you will add everything to them. Lord, your word says in Jeremiah 29, 11, that you know the plans you have for your children. Their plans of prosperity and not of disaster. To give them a future and to give them a hope. I pray for them. Let them have a bright future. Let them have a hopeful future. Lead them by your spirit to who they should spend the rest of their lives with. Help them by the Holy Spirit and prepare them, Lord. No one is perfect, but you are at work in us to will and to do. Heal marriages. Heal broken relationships. Heal things that have been ruined. For, Lord, you have said that you are able to turn ashes into beauty. Let that be their story. Let faith come into them again. Let light come again and let lives be built 
that will affect the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your seats. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Rev. Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.